Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What up, DBDL fam? Today, Brad's going to be talking with one of our very own Triad's head of new member outreach, Jordan Riggi. For many advisors, success at their firm comes at the expense of family, relationships, life, as we know, but it doesn't have to, and Jordan's here to prove it. Uh, Jordan's new book, Success is the Enemy, helps advisors examine their success, embrace significance, and build something that's bigger than themselves. So in this episode, this conversation with Jordan, you're going to learn, one, why success is not the end-all, be-all, and will become your enemy if you let it. Two, why vision cannot be copy and pasted and how to create one that truly differentiates you as a company. And three, the five principles to creating a significant business, including how marketing, sales, operations, culture, and vision all work together to create something that's bigger than you. So just on the DVDL podcast, again, Jordan was kind enough. We're going to provide access. And if you want to grab a free copy of Success is the Enemy, first, what you're going to want to do is text the number 38, not the word, to the DVDL Insider phone number. That's 785-800-3235. We're going to shoot you a text back, okay, asking you to leave an honest rating and review of the show. Once you've done that, we're going to grab your mailing address and ship you a copy of the book. Please note text message and data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by replying stop to any message that you receive. Also, quick apology to our international listeners outside of the U.S. Due to crazy high shipping prices, we can only ship these domestically. So if you want to check Jordan out, hear more of what he has to say, share some really interesting, thought-provoking content on LinkedIn, Jordan Riggy, his name's in the episode title and description. You're not sure about spelling. And if you want the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed, you can grab those at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 38. So as always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, today's conversation with Jordan Riggy. Welcome to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. Jordan, this one's going to be fun today. We're going to tell some more stories. So for those unfamiliar with Jordan Riggy, we've worked side by side for close to a decade now. There was a little, couple little gaps in between there, but the world brought us back together here at Triad. And so wanted to sit down, talk about the new book that you just released and talk about all the learnings along the way. So welcome to the Do Business, Do Life podcast. Thank you. Let's do it. All right, let's jump in. That's what I love about you, man. You're always ready to roll. So I know pretty much every Triad member here knows Jordan because you're the director of our new member outreach. Obviously, we do it very differently here where we're selective of of who we let in and there's no person better to help filter and curate the community than you. And one of the things that I wanted to just share a little bit was you've got quite the story of how you made it to Kansas. You weren't born here. You weren't raised here like the vast majority of the rest of Triad. So for those not familiar with Jordan, maybe a little bit of your story, what brought you to Kansas, and then eventually ended up connecting us. Yeah. So um, actually was born in Connecticut, West Haven, Connecticut. Uh, my dad, kind of cool, immigrant from Iran, met my mom in Connecticut, Irish, got married, and my dad wanted us to go to Catholic school. And we moved to Idaho. So dad drove all the way out to Idaho, moved our whole family there. So I was there for 18 years and then went to high school in Illinois. So Catholic boarding school, went back to Idaho and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. My whole life, I always had a dream to work with my dad, take over what he did in his business. And um, that didn't work out for several reasons. I think a couple things that I'll share later, probably today, that had an impact on me directly. 
But as I worked with my dad, I realized that I probably should get a degree because mom came from a background where she got her master's degree. So it was like, get your degree, you need to have it. So I got my degree, worked part-time and got my degree full-time. And in that time, I worked in sales. And what was interesting for me as I went through that process, what I realized was the company that I was working at, there was a ceiling. And I said to myself, I can't be here forever. Like in 10 years, 15 years, I remember the managers at the company there, I was like, oh my goodness, if this is my full life, like I'm done with. So at that time, I had heard about a job actually in St. Mary's, Kansas, which for the listeners that they don't know, it's like super small area. And they were hiring for a sales role. It was a startup company, security company. And I was like, life's too short. Why not? I'm all in. So I hopped in my 1990 Acura Integra, had like 500 bucks to my name. And I was like, let's go. It's like $80 to get there. And I moved to Kansas. I actually moved to Topeka, Kansas. Lived with a couple of my buddies in uh, the Washburn University College campus area. And uh, that's what got me to Kansas. Were you in Idaho at the time that you road tripped? Mm -hmm. Straight drive, Red Bulls, all the fun stuff. Red Bulls and whatever it took to stay away. I had Red Bulls and uh, pre-workout and was taking them together because I went full trek. It's like the uh, grocery bag analogy. You got to bring them all in at once. You got to road trip and just go and no stops. Love it. (laughs) Nice. Okay. So you show up in St. Mary's, Kansas, which by the way, is probably 15 minutes from my house. For those unfamiliar, super small, like what, three, 4,000 people maybe. And so you roll into town you've got this new job at the security company. And this is pretty close to when we met the first time. Yeah. And so it's basically phone sales. Were you cold calling for the most part? Uh, We would run TV ads and the leads would come in and our job was to help people. We were consulting them on if security would be a good option for them. And that was basically the goal. So I moved, I went from that job in in Washington and then came to St. Mary's. It was the same type of role. Very transactional, help people with security system, get them done. Went from starting in the bottom there with sales and moved into management, then was leading a team and kind of the same story, hit a cap there as well. So this leads us to where we first crossed paths. Yeah. Uh, So prior life where we met, obviously FMO industry. And I remember I was hiring on my small team, team five or six for what we called at the time a recruiter, which was essentially a nice name for you're gonna cold call financial advisors all day and you know, try to convince them to move forward with the company. And one of the things I remember, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but one of the things I remember the first time we met, because I, I think I was north of 20 interviews for that position, because uh, I really wanted to make sure I got the right new person. And I just remember almost this magnetic quality about you. You showed up differently and you still have that. And, and it's one of your, like, you're just very intentional about how you show up, who you are, the mission you're on. So anyway, we go through the, the dance of the interview process. You join the team. And now I want to fast forward to kind of that first six months. And there was a, an inflection point in your career there that I know we've talked a lot about. But I think there's a really cool lesson for the listeners out there that can come out of, out of that early journey in a completely new industry. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing to think about for me, as I look at my path that led me to here, there was a lot of hard decisions that need to be made. And for me, going back to Idaho, like I was in Idaho, I had hit a ceiling. And while I could have remained complacent and stayed there, I knew that I had to make a hard decision that would benefit me long term. So that led me to Kansas. And like you just said before, I'll never forget. I remember applying to that old job and I was sitting there. I was like, I'm making great money but I know I have to do something bigger. And I saw the titles, like a director of something. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. So like, come to find out, it's just a glorified salesperson, right? And I'll never forget in that moment, 
when I had the opportunity to stay where I was at, where I was making significant more money, I had to make a decision. And in that moment, I, moment I knew I was like, I've got to do this because I know in three to five years, the younger version of me is going to go, oh my goodness. So that's what led me there. And while I was, my mindset was super excited about it. What I didn't realize is six months, that high went away where I was like, oh, I'm so excited. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not making money. What did I do? Yeah. <laughs> I should just, that, yeah. which is kind of what happened, which is yeah. what you're, you're talking about here. And we had that conversation and I was, I was at like a fork in the road because I was like, I can go back to what I know, which is very comfortable and I can do it well. Or I can buckle down and say, I'm going to give this another shot. And that's ultimately what happened. And honestly, it changed my whole life. Like it, it was the book that you, we talked about, which was um, Mindset by Carol Dweck, Fix Versus Growth Mindset. And what I realized was all of the things that had brought me success were the things that I was latching onto. And the moment that I let go of those and tried a different way was where I saw my career change quite a bit. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about that moment because I remember going into that conversation at Tup Tim Tai. For those familiar, Topeka, Kansas. Money bags. The money, the money bags at Tup Tim Tide, Topeka, Kansas. Check them out if you're not familiar. But we went in there and I remember just seeing a young go-getter. You were super hungry. The work ethic was there. And we had a like a real conversation. It was a heart to heart. And I said, hey, can we have a real one? And you're like, and to your credit, you're like, yeah. And it was not, there was no ego. There was no defense. It was two guys that wanted to go in the same direction in the most efficient way possible. And you said, you know what? I've been trying to do this new industry, this new business, like I did the old transactional model of sales. Because these were very high ticket sales, right? A very different type of sales. And everything changed after that conversation. I don't know that I've ever, and I've been in this industry almost two decades now, I don't know that I've ever seen someone take off as quickly as you did after that conversation because you threw the old rule book away and you trusted the new rule book, which had been tried and true and proven. It wasn't like we were winging it for the first time. It was actually a lot of the mistakes I'd made along the way. I'm like, please just don't make these, like do this way, right? And you took off and so grateful that you were humble enough. I know one of the things we say at Triad is, be growth minded. We've never arrived. You know, none of us have ever made it. And like in that moment, that was you. And I want to go to this book, which I'm going to hold up for the camera here. Success is the enemy, which just dropped a month or two ago. Yeah. Fairly recently, not available anywhere. Can't get it on Amazon, right? Nope. Which, are you doing the takeaway close on that? Or what, what do we got going on? Different there? strategy. Different strategy. So limited distribution. I want it in the right hands. That's fair. And the title, Success is the Enemy, very counterintuitive, which I know there's a reason behind that. So let's get into the thought process behind the title, which is a little bit of, you know, really how the book opens. So Yeah, so it's, the thought process behind the book, it was it's honestly just been a contributing factor from all the things that I've learned just working with advisors. But in all honesty, it's more relevant to just, I think, any business or any person in general. But specific to advisors, what you'll see is you have an advisor who gets into the business, right? They have a a drive or a passion to help others. But the reality of the situation is when you make that decision to go independent, you're putting the weight of the world on your shoulders to do what? Say, I'm going to do this thing. And you have to prove to yourself, your family, the clients that you want to serve, the clients that you don't have yet, that you have the ability to do this thing. 
And what a lot of advisors don't realize is 90% of advisors fail within the first year. So what, are, what they're doing is they're fighting to not become a statistic day one. They don't know this, right? What we see is the advisors that do create success, ones that aren't the 90% that fail, their success either becomes the biggest blessing to their life or the biggest curse. And what I mean by that is as their production, their AUM, their annuities, their life insurance, whatever it might be, starts to increase, their time starts to go down. And they find themselves in a place where they never imagined. Day one in the business, right? Fight for survival. How do I see people? I don't even know what to do. Now they're in a position where like, I see too many people or I'm stressed out. And the thing that they desperately wanted their whole lives, success, now can become an enemy if they don't take the appropriate actions. So when I wrote the book, the idea was success is the enemy if you allow it to take over. And there are certain things that you have to do differently. There's nothing wrong with building a successful business. But if you want to build something bigger, there are different ways. So when I wrote the book, the idea was with the intentions of advisors who have created success in their lives. And from an outsider looking in, they haven't made. But deep down, as you dig into like what's truly meaningful to them, there's bigger things that they want. And success is not the end all be all for everyone. Mm -hmm. I've heard you use the analogy. It's like a teeter totter where when you start, you've got all the time in the world and no money, no revenue, no clients. And then to what you just shared, okay, well now kind of this victim of your own success, oh, bringing on clients, more clients, more clients, more clients, now no time. Yep. And now the business is eating me alive. It's like I've kind of built a prison around myself accidentally, didn't even mean to. So as we get into that, I think one of the things that's really cool about this, this is not just, hey, Jordan had a theory and let's write a book. It was literally, I know Malcolm Gladwell's famous for the 10,000 hour rule, which if you want to become an expert in anything, I think in his book, he talks about the Beatles. You know, everybody thinks they were an overnight success. No, they had like a decade, yep. like doing these small gigs before they made it, right? And you're now coming up on close to a decade in the industry. So you've got the 10,000 hour rule a couple times over. Yep. And so there's a lot of learnings from hours and hours and hours of conversations with independent advisors all over the country. Very, very successful ones. Some that have figured out some of this, some that are kind of stuck and keep hitting that glass ceiling. You've talked about success. Well, what's the alternative? I know there's a, a concept you talk about in the book. Yeah, there's, there's a couple things. And I think what's important here is this book is kind of a personal to me a little bit. So when I mentioned earlier, I worked with my dad. So when I worked with my dad, he's an immigrant from Iran and he moved to this country because he wanted to live the American dream and he had nothing. So my dad did everything in his power to survive. Now, my dad's not a financial advisor, but he works as a small business. So his thing was, I've got to survive. I have to, I have to pay for the bills for my family. I have to do all these things. And his fight for survival was the best thing that I ever saw. But that also led to negatives in other areas of our family. And as I worked with my dad, what's interesting is I wanted to take over what he did so bad. And he wanted the same for me. Like we both wanted it, but there was a gap. Like I would say that there was a gap because my dad was the greatest salesperson in the world, but he wasn't good at anything else when it comes to the business. And I was this young go-getter wanting to follow my dad, be like, hey, you'll figure it out one day. And I never did. So when I look at it from the perspective of a success standpoint, I got to experience it a little bit in my own life with my dad. And what I realized was a failing when I was younger actually became something that I could use as a lesson for me to coach to and talk to because I experienced it myself. And a lot of times you see this with financial advisors. They're very successful. They're doing a great job, but they tend to have all the success bearing on themselves. And the interesting thing is, as you become a person that's building a successful business, 
you don't necessarily burn out, right? Because we hear this a lot in the industry. Oh, the advisor is burnt out. And I think it's kind of overused. Burnout is one of the things that can happen as you build a successful business, but it's not the only thing. I think what's interesting is we see different advisors. Some of them are burnt out completely, but there are some who have not hit burnout yet and they have an opportunity to be proactive as opposed to reactive to it. Make sense? So if you have a decision, if you know that, hey, in a year from now, I'm going to completely hate my life, would you do something to change that if you had the opportunity to do so? That was what led me down the path of what I saw here, which was talking about significance. From an outsider perspective looking in, I talk about this a lot, which is Tim Tebow. I'm sure everyone's familiar with Tebow if you're not, great football player. But in his college careers, millions of followers, making tons of money. He had all the success in the world. But Tim knew deep down that there was something bigger. And in Tim's story specifically, man of faith, he says, I found God, I found my purpose. And that led him to this path of what I talk about in the book, which is significance. And significance to Tim was pouring into others. The ability to take the success that he had and to allow others to live in it. And when I think about significance, that's what I think about when I think about this book is, are you a human? Are you an advisor that has had success and your success is not the end-all be-all? Do you want to build something bigger? And if that's the case, there's another path. We call it significance. And um, I believe that significance is a calling. It's not meant for everyone because some people will want to stay on this path of just being successful and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's a calling just like all the decisions I had to make to get to where I am today. I had to be willing to make short-term sacrifices for the long-term. So that's kind of the theme of the book, which is which path do you choose? And hopefully the readers that read it see themselves on that success line and say, I want to build that, or this speaks to my heart and what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting about that path you just laid out, it actually, I know we talk a lot about the advisor in charge model, which is where everyone starts, right? Like, just like you said, 90% of financial advisors kind of like they start as the the grinded out sort of mentality of just like, I've got it like your dad when he was knocking on doors, making sales, right? And a lot of advisors have started there where there was cold calling and what or whatever their path was in this business, which is a very I-based approach. And you said it in the Tebow story, significance is a very much we-based approach. But the cool thing about it is if you now start to, it's the Zig Ziglar, help enough other people get what they want and you'll get what you want. One of the things we hear a lot is, man, when I go on vacation, so does my revenue in my business because it's all I-based, right? We-based, team-based, not only can you build a much stronger business that's bigger than you, it can also serve others. And now you're creating a livelihood for a team, career paths for teams. So what's really cool is the synergy that I know you coach to a lot around that. So if you're cool with sharing, now I know it's all in the book, but if you're cool with sharing kind of the the recipe, I believe you call it the five principles of significance. Would you mind kind of unpacking those a bit? Yeah. So when you think about significance, here's here's the thing that's important. Significance to me is building a business that allows you to have unlimited growth, unlimited freedom, unlimited joy. It's about building a business that is bigger than you. If you were to look at it from the uh, perspective of like, if I drew a triangle, right? A business that is significant has the priority list in this pecking order, team first. Team is the most important thing. Second is clients. And the thing that comes last on the pyramid is I, me. It's about building your building something that's bigger than you. Significance is selfless. That is the 
perception of what significance means to me. And what's important is it can't just be about what it means to me. It has to be, what does it mean to the person that's reading, right? Because I have a definition of what I believe it is. And significance comes to life when the the definition that I believe of it is and their definition come together, right? So if someone is sitting there and saying, when I think of significance, I want to build something bigger than me, but I also want to make sure that I can hit this level of goals. I want to make sure that I'm able to take these periods of time off to spend time with my family. There's multiple things, but the definition of significance is a deep meaning to the person itself. And when you think about it, here's what I would say. The difference between success and significance, and this is what I share in the book, is a successful business has elements that the significant business does not. Marketing specifically is one of the first ones. So as we talk about it, I mentioned as the five principles to building a significant business. We talked about earlier, you get into the business and it's all about what? Survival. I have to prove that I have a reason to exist. Now, some advisors have an accelerated learning curve, right? Where they hear about this thing called events, seminars, educational events. Some advisors are cold calling leads, radio, TV. They have to prove that they have a reason to exist. They have to get in front of people. And they do what? Marketing. To do what? Get in front of people. And I think it's cool. I always play this scenario out and I talk about it in the book, but I always ask it. I was just like, what was the first client you ever brought on? Like, do you remember that? Oh yeah, Bob and Susie. And I'm like, okay, let's play this out. So you do your first marketing event. Bob and Susie are sitting at your dinner seminar. Day one, it's probably your first seminar and you're freaking out, like you're getting jittery. I never forget one advisor is like, yeah, half my face went numb. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. But like, you have the, you're, you're nervous, you're scared. You're like, I don't even know I have what it takes. And they do this marketing event and Bob and Susie, they're sitting in that seminar and they hear you speak and something that you say makes them want what you have. So what do they do? They come into your office and now you have an opportunity to do what? Create a sale. And you sit there and it might be your first appointment, right? Going back to the early days and you're like shaking. You're like, okay, the script said to do this or my organization told me this or my mentor said to say this and you go through the process and maybe you had to use sales tactics, but Bob and Susie at the end of that say, how do I become a client? What do I need to do? And in that moment, you get words of affirmation, a stamp of approval that you have what it takes that you aren't going to be a statistic and you can do this thing. But here's what happens. The marketing thing that you did that drove the sales is the thing that we go back to because here's what happens. We learn to create leverage early on in the business. It's like an addictive drug almost. Leverage, that marketing does what? Creates revenue for us. In a business that's successful, remember success for significance, a successful business either takes that money and just dumps it straight back into marketing or they spend it, right? There's business owners that live paycheck to paycheck, right? Because they're not doing the right thing with the business. They're not putting it in the right place. Then what happens is they get on this hamster wheel of marketing to sales, sales back to marketing. There's nothing wrong with, like I said, building a successful business, but there's something bigger than that. Make sense? Those are Mm -hmm. the first two areas that we talk about. So principle number one, marketing. Yep. Principle number two, sales. And back to kind of the hamster wheel you just mentioned, more marketing, more sales, more sales, more marketing, just the loop that that creates. Okay. Let's keep rolling. What else? Well, then you start to increase your marketing efforts. You start to bring on new clients. And then we got Adam, the advisor, let's say. He starts to become more successful and his success kind of honestly takes his greatest skill set sales. And now he becomes what? Maybe a service advisor. And he gets more and more business. And he goes, oh my goodness, I need help. So what does he do? He hires someone, which leads to the third principle, which is operations. And you have to have someone that can deliver on the promises that you're talking about. And what's interesting is if you think about these three principles, specifically marketing, sales, and operations, our industry talks about it a lot. Oh, there's a three-legged stool to growing a business. 
really. There's much more to it. But what's interesting is when you think about marketing, you think about sales and you think about operations, they all have one thing in common. They all require humans. And as you start to think about the business differently, right? Day one, the business could rely upon you when you're just grinding it out, right? And it's your baby, everything's in your head. But as you start to add humans to the element, you start to add what? Dysfunctions. Every human, you, myself, I mean, goodness, we're we're grinding it out here. We all know that we are emotional creatures. We're not always going to show up as excited. How do we get a group of humans to love the company the same way that we do, right? As a business owner. And what's interesting is if the experience I had with my dad, if I were to replace myself for a different employee, it's like, oh my goodness, what kind of experience is that, right? And I think that's what we typically see. So when you add these humans into the element, there's a critical thing that we need, which leads to the other principle, which is culture. How do we get a group of people to love the company the same way that you do? It's not easy. How do we get people to show up as excited about the business as you do? It's not easy. There's a critical element that's needed to tie all these things together. But what I've typically seen, and this is not just financial advisors, this is a lot of small businesses, right? Because you have like the corporate company, which if you think about like an Edward Jones, for example, right? What are they really good at? They are great at marketing. Everyone knows who they are. They've got a great brand. They've got a sales process down. They've got tons of people, culture, whether or not it's good or not, but they have elements of all these things. And then you take the advisor, right? That's been at Edward Jones, the business owner or soon to be business owner, right? Adam, he works at Edward Jones. He's got this great idea in his head, right? And what does he do? He leaves all the good things that a corporate structure offers behind to go build. He now is, he's like in a jungle and it's, he's free and he can do whatever he wants. But what did he leave behind? all the critical things that are actually needed to build a business. Thus enters the chaotic world of the entrepreneur. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So we hit marketing, we hit sales, we hit ops, we hit culture. There's a mysterious number five there is. that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, this is the thing that ties everything together. And um, it's a word that if you think about it from the perspective of just the word itself, it can be like, oh, it sounds simple, but it's vision. And when I say vision, I think about it in a very different way than I think what most people would. And I would say that I, nothing that I write in this book is like, oh, I'm Jordan and I wrote about it and I'm the smartest person in the world. A lot of the reading in this book is based off of very, very, very successful entrepreneurs outside of our industry. And one specifically that um, really inspired me as I've done research, talking about vision specifically is Simon Sinek. And when I think about the vision of your business, I think about it from the same perspective that he talks about, which is, do you as a company have a just cause? Like, why do you deserve to exist as a company? Why do you deserve to exist as opposed to every other company? And do your ideal clients know what that is? Like, do you have a just cause? And if you think about the just cause of your business, the biggest issue that we've typically seen is most advisors, their companies the reason for why they exist is left up for interpretation. They just get to assume whatever you are, whatever you do. And if you think about the vision, if I were to have like a, a circle here and draw it out for you, right? You've got at the lower end, you've got like vision and then you've got marketing here and then you've got sales here and you've got operations here and you've got the culture here. If I were to take that lower part of the circle and extract it, right? And you had vision over here on its own. When you think of the vision, there are two different verticals to a vision, right? There's the internal vision, which is where are we going as a company, right? This is internal to you as the company. Where are we going? Where are we going in a year from now? Where are we going in three years from now? 
if we have employees, do they know that, right? And is it documented? Is it in a place to where it's objective view of where we're going? Typically what happens is the hunter goes, oh, I have a vision. Great. It's all in their head. Or it might be in one of the key staff's head. So the vision of your company, if it's, if it's just in your head or it's just an idea, it's not a true vision. So that's the one aspect of the vision. The whole other vertical of the vision is what I talk about, which is the external vision. What do we do as a company? What is it that makes us different, right? And this part is really fun for me because our industry years ago, there's this idea of, well, you're an independent advisor and you are securities licensed. So you do holistic planning and you offer a, a whole plan based off a CFP standard. And the idea was name and trademark your process. And you'll do hundreds of millions in, in business. If what you do is your differentiator, you're a commodity. It's as simple as that. But what we see is people name and trademark something and they think that's the key. What you have to do is dig a lot deeper. You have to dig into who you are as a company, right? What we do is financial planning, but who we are at our core is this. And in order for us to arrive at any of those, we can't copy paste what someone else does down the street. It's going to take work. Remember I said significance is a calling. Anyone can copy paste you, but they're never going to be able to defeat you if they don't understand the thinking behind why you're doing the things that we're talking about. So when we think of vision, and I can distill a little bit more how that affects every other area, but the key is there's the internal, there's the external, and how do all of these work together to create what we're talking about? And that's the, fifth, the first principle. Well, and I, I know going back to the, the 10,000 hour rule and a few laps around that track, right? Yeah. And I've had a few myself. There's nothing more frustrating for an advisor than, oh, my advisor does that too. Back to the commoditized conversation, right? And I've heard you say sales is a transfer of belief. And back to the analogy you just made where somebody kind of like rips off somebody's, oh, that looks really good on this other financial advisor's website. We'll just do that and put like our name, replace their name with our name, blueprint, roadmap, whatever. And the biggest thing is, You can't sell something like if you know deep down to your core, that's somebody else's thing that I just kind of tried to make my own. There's no belief there. There's no vision there. Yeah. Right. So you've seen that many times over. Can you share out of some of those conversations with real life advisors? Like what's the difference between no belief because this is somebody else's versus truly going deep on vision, actually doing the deep work of trying to figure out why we do exist and going back to that origin story And then truly arriving at, wait, this is ours. This is who we are. This is what we believe. What's the difference in the before and after there? Well, the the difference is it starts with the why, but it starts with, do you actually care or do you want to do it? We've been in this industry for a long time. And like the reality of the situation is just because you are an independent advisor and you're a business owner, like you don't have to act as a business owner, right? It's not that hard to get licensed. So, I mean, how many people out there exist where they might do a couple million in annuities, they might do a little bit of AUM, but like, do you actually want to do it? Remember, do you, or do you want to go on that journey? Do you want to go on the journey? It's, it's literally what I talked about before, success versus significance. If you just want to be successful, like this is not going to make any sense to you. Like any of this conversation, this book will make no sense to you. You might see yourself from the perspective of I'm a successful person, but you might be the person and there's nothing wrong with it that says, I kind of want a lifestyle practice where I kind of piece things together and I make a decent income for myself and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. The key to this is if you want something bigger, if you are a person that started in this business because you wanted to help people and you started to become successful and your own successes caused you to burn out, 
Or if you're a person that's reading this book and you're not burnt out, right? But you can see that if I keep doing it the way that I'm doing it, I will eventually get there. You have an opportunity to be proactive as opposed to reactive to the situation. But the key is in what you're asking, you have to want it and then you have to go all in to understand the thinking behind it, right? Like our industry specifically, I've seen this time and time again. People just want something. They want something. They want something. They want it overnight, but they don't want to spend the time to understand the thinking behind it. Like the, the typical situation that happens is this. You go to some event, right? Whether it's 50 people, a couple hundred people, thousands of people, you hear someone share something, an idea, right? And you're in a big room. You don't get the full idea of what they're sharing, right? Because they're limited. You have an hour of time and there's a bunch of people. So you're getting like the Cliff Notes version. That's what happens. And I'm going to play this out and how this works. You hear the Cliff Notes version. You write down 20 ideas. You get it. You then take that. You don't fully understand the thinking behind it, but you love the idea. And what happens for a majority of people is they take that. They probably go back to their office. They try to implement it or they throw it at their team to implement it. And here's the problem. If you don't understand the thinking behind it, how is your team supposed to understand the thinking behind it? How are they supposed to get excited behind it? It's impossible. So when you think about the vision of your company, what we're talking about here is it's like you're wanting to enter into the big leagues of doing what it takes to become a successful, truly successful, significant business owner, which is I've got to do things differently. We talk about it all the time. Richard Branson has 400 plus companies. Like if he could do it with 400 companies, why can't you do it with one? You can, it's just going to take work, but not everyone wants that, which is why it's like, We've got to be super specific on who you surround yourself with, who you work with, because I can't want it more than you do, right? Like you, going back to our story, we got on that call together, like as much as I went through that process to interview, if you wanted it more than me, it wouldn't have never made any sense. I wanted it, right? I wanted it. So I made that decision and I experienced turmoil six months in because I was trying to do what got me there, Right didn't work. So it's like, it starts with that. And I know it's, I'm oversimplifying, but it's like, if you don't want it, it's never going to work. Yeah. I want to hit on it. Something you're all over here. I've actually never heard a financial advisor. Like think about financial advisor, the I, you know, 100% on them. Every financial advisor that I've ever asked, and I'm, I'm curious, same for you. Do you want to be a business owner? Do you want to transition to a CEO? They all say yes. And the analogy I'll make is, Hey, do you want to be more fit? No human on the planet says no to that or more healthy, a better husband, a better wife, a better parent. Yes, yes, yes. The question is, do you want to make the changes and do the work that it requires to be that? And I just literally got off a coaching call earlier today and I love this concept. If you want extraordinary results, what does it take? You weren't on this call. Wait, you were on this Extraordinary call. actions? Uh, it was extraordinary requests create extraordinary results. So testament to you, Jordan. Number one, you took the time to write the book and take your learnings and capture them so you could share them with others and create those breakthroughs. But the other thing I've seen you get really clear on, because we truly have empowered you to help curate a community that hasn't existed in finance before. It's hard to get in on purpose because some of the requests you make, we have a a thorough vetting process. And this is not a triad commercial. I don't want it to be that. This is about the book and how we can add value to the listeners to the podcast out there. You make some extraordinary requests. One of those things is you say, hey, 
you say you want to be this, but are you willing to do the work? And you preview, here's, here's the work. Like this is a very intentional process where you're going to have to do deep work because we got to pull this out of you. And we can't pull this out of you if you're not willing to show up and do the work. So what other learnings have you had along the way as far as the difference between saying you want to do something and actually becoming the person that it takes to do that thing? If you want to build something that's bigger than you want to take the step that you're talking about, I believe that there are two barriers to significance that have everything to do with you as the person. The first one is selfishness. If you want to take a different path, you have to be willing to stop putting yourself first for the greater good of whatever you're trying to do, right? I think about it from the perspective, whether that's working out, whether it's, hey, I'm a person that is overweight and I need to make changes because I need to make changes to better my relationships, better my own personal health, right? You're going to have to take extreme action, make decisions that, that are not necessarily the easiest. Maybe the first week is great as you're on your diet, but then what happens? Someone's ordering a pizza, you're in a room with a bunch of people, and then you have a very easy way to sway back to what you knew before, right? So I think the first thing is, if we're selfish, we're never going to be able to do it. And selfish means putting yourself first. It's going back to what I talked about, the list, the pecking order in which matters most, yourself is last. And I don't say it yourself last in a negative way, meaning go burn yourself out. What I mean is putting yourself last to build something bigger than you. The second one is attachment to success. That red line that we're talking about, it's addictive, right? There are certain things that I've done my whole life that I can keep doing it that way. And you know what? It's kind of the easy path. It's like you get excited about something, right? And it's like, okay, well, if I want to do that, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. And this re- this is not just the founder, but also like team, right? If I want to make these changes to build this, I've got to make significant decisions and do things in a different way. And it's not easy because what we know is this path that we built towards success. So it requires like a true, I'm all in to do this. And if you have that, then everything works itself out. But you making the decision to build like this business of significance I talk about is changing your identity from here's who I am today. Here's the new me of what I want to build and going all in. And that's, that's the vision of yourself of what you want to be for your business. Many people say that the commitment is what I hear you saying is there's one thing to say it. There's another thing to commit to it and say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to become this different version in order for change. You have to commit to change, whether it's selfishness or whatever the work is that it takes to get there. And one of the things I've seen is oftentimes when you hit that first little bump of resistance, such as, Hey, I did it this old way. You know, I I had more maybe of a commoditized transactional process where I kind of sold some products or sold some AUM or whatever it was. And when you change to a different process, of course, you know, you might swing and miss a time or two, and it's really easy to revert back. But what is the difference that you've seen of those that have made that breakthrough and, and gone from kind of that success to a significant business that's bigger than them versus the ones that hit that little bump in the road? And they're like, ah, oh, too hard. I'm just going back to the old way. And they just go back to doing it how they've always done it. Are there other characteristics of the individuals that hold true to that commitment? I would say that it it starts with, and it, I'm going to oversimplify it. It starts with making the decision that I want to build in a bigger way, and then it's creating a vision for what that is. So when we talked earlier, there's these principles to significance. Here's what I want you to think about is the vision of your business. And a lot of people listening are probably believers in insurance products. The vision of your business is kind of like an annuity. It's the foundation, right? 
the marketing in your business is like the market. What does the market do? It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. The vision of your business, if built properly, here's what will happen. And it, and it will fix exactly what you're talking about. If you build the vision right, which a lot of times is not built right, you will create an objective standard. Objective, right? Meaning we've now created the standard of what it means to build our business moving forward. That when times get tough, you can go back to. Think about it as like almost like a Bible, right? It's like, hey, I'm wavering in my thoughts here. I'm not sure if this is right. And there, there it is in front of you. Say, oh, this is what I said. This is what I want to do. If you don't have that, you'll never have anything to go back to, which is typically what we see. If you don't have that thing, what do, what do a lot of advisors do? What do a lot of people do? What do humans do in general? They don't have direction or they have an objective standard. They're all over the place. One day it goes this way. I go back to here. One day it goes this. I'm feeling good. It goes here. We're an emotional mess. So what we have to do is we have to create an objective standard that we now move forward, we'll live by, that we say, this is what I'm going to do, and I've documented, and now it's the thing, it's the standard in which we must live by. And what's interesting is that right there, if created properly, will then bleed in to every other area of our business, and that will be the thing. And here's the reality of the situation. If you go all in and you create this objective standard that we're talking about, what I would say is like your manifesto of what we do as a company, who we are as a company, where we are going, if you take the time to build that and do it that way, and then you go against it, that's on you. And once again, we can't, I can't want that more than you. And that's going to be a conversation that you have to have with yourself. But the goal is to find someone that's willing to help you build in that way and be proactive to help you avoid the mistakes that other people have. But once you write that down and you do it, extreme ownership. <laughs> no one else can want it more for you and no one else can yeah. do it for you. Well, and I've heard you also say there's a filtering process. There's a quote you say a lot about opportunities masquerade. Yeah. Your vision will act as a filter. So think about it like this. You're sitting inside your house and this little thing, come, or you're sitting in your office and this little thing comes up and knocks at your door or you get that phone call and you're the advisor sitting on your desk and you get that call from maybe it's a marketer or it's some company. Hey, I got this thing. It's only going to be $1,000. It'll fill your calendar. Here's what we need to do. The more successful that you become, the more distractions that will show up at your door masquerading as opportunities. It is the vision that will act as a filter between distraction or opportunity. And um, the vision is the most simple thing, but it's the most overlooked thing. And it's simple in the terms of the word. It's complex in regards to how you build it and what it is deep down. But if you can build that right there, now imagine moving forward in your life. The distraction will come to you and you'll have the filter in which you know whether it's a distraction or opportunity. And then guess what? It's up to you to decide, what am I going to do with it? Well, and the beauty of it is, is you have a team and you've gotten that in written form. Yep. Now the team can also help hold you accountable. Hey, uh, remember? Like, here's where we're headed. This is our North Star. That doesn't really seem to align with what we said we wanted to do, right? So then it's actually, what's cool is it's not just on you. You actually have team members that can help kind of keep everything in the lanes. And so we're not chasing the next shiny object of the day. So I love that quote and I love that example. And, it, and we've seen it be so true to those that have committed to the process. It will fix everything. The reality of the situation is, it, is if you don't want it, it won't be possible. So that's why when, I, when you asked earlier, like, where's your book? It, this book is meant to be in the hands of the right people right? I want to have conversations with people and say, you know what? That person right there would find meaning in this book and it would be worth the cost to print it, the paper, the cost to me to give it to them because I think it had an impact. 
I don't want that that book in the hands of someone that will find it useless and better off throwing it in like a fire pit and burning it, right? So I want this book to be in the hands of people that will use it and are inspired, right? The reality of the situation is though, like my own story, and this is something that I think it's interesting because, you know, I am 30 years old now, right? And what I've struggled with a lot is I've talked to so many advisors and it's like they struggle so much with making decisions that are best for their family, that are best for their business. They're so attached to this, to relationships or attached to what they know that they can't make a decision to like build something bigger. It's because they lack vision. They, they literally lack vision. In every step of my career, I clearly knew what I wanted. And I knew that what I wanted was not for me to be the same person I am three years from now. And it didn't matter about money to me. And like granted back when I was in Idaho, it wasn't, I mean, tons of, I mean, I'm 18, like 21 years old. So I'm like, oh, $70,000. Woo, that's huge. But like, for me, it was a big deal, like to go from making that much to going down to like, quite literally my pay when I was at that security company was like $15 an hour and then everything was commissioned. So I took a huge step back, but I knew what I wanted long-term. So it was, it was clear to me. So like when, when the conversation happened, clear. When I had that conversation with you, I, I already knew what Jordan needed to do. And it didn't matter what you said to me. And I knew that when I put my head at, on the pillow that night to go to bed, I was like, if I say no to you, to the offer to go do it, I'd be letting myself down because I knew what I needed to do. So have a vision for what you want, have conviction, and don't let outside things sway you. But if you don't have the vision of what you want to become, it, it's literally impossible to make any decision. So the vision will act as a filter distraction or opportunity and it will hold you accountable. And the only person that knows if you're doing things that are required or doing the right thing is you. Yeah. And the truth is they deserve it. Advisors deserve it. And uh, that's why I love this conversation, man. And uh, what I've always loved about you, Jordan, is we can always go deep. We can have a lot of fun, but I don't know that I've met a person that's more passionate about people, about creating breakthroughs, about this industry I mean, I'm getting texts at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. with, you are just a voracious learner. And it's one of the things that's taken you to where you've come. And what I love about you is you're still on mile one of your journey because I just know that's how you're wired. So with that, we are sitting under a really big DBDL sign here. So for those that maybe this is the first time tuning into the podcast, this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. And I think one of the other things that's been really cool, some of the more, most rewarding work that I'm the most proud of at Triad that you've helped bring into reality is those visions also oftentimes reflect building a business that's bigger than that advisor, but also that serves that advisor so they can be home for family dinners, so they cannot miss every kid's game because they're on this success hamster wheel, just grinding, grinding, grinding. So... I would love to hear Jordan's definition of what do business, do life means to him because helped so many advisors actually define what it means for them. So I'd love to hear your definition. I think for me right now, especially, it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast recently with uh, Tom Brady and he said when he turned 30 years old that everyone in the NFL was like, oh, he's, he's 30 now, he's, he's going downhill. And Tom used that to like fire him up to be like, no. Why does the industry, like the football NFL industry say like when someone turns this age, now it's now the, it has to go downhill. So what's interesting is when I heard that podcast, this was like before I turned 30 years old, I was like, wow, that's really cool to think about. So as I turned 30, 
I said to myself, how do I take that approach? And for me, there was a Nick at our team was sharing a story about uh, Kobe Bryant. They were, I think it was the Olympics. A couple guys went out and were celebrating, having fun. And they were, they walked up to the elevator. I don't know the exact story. I think this is pretty accurate. They're getting to the elevator to go up to their room and the elevator's coming down and open up the door at like 3.30 in the morning is Kobe. He's walking out to go to the gym and they're walking in because they partied. And um, I said to myself, after I heard that story and as I watched the Tom Brady thing, I said to myself, like, how do I become the Kobe Bryant of our industry and what I do? And for me, it's, I've got to do things that no one else is doing. So I've been you know, pushing myself in a lot of ways. And when you ask do business, that's probably the biggest thing for what that that's what the DB stands for me is how do I do something that no one else is doing? And while they're sleeping, I'm awake and I'm doing what I need to do. So that's what I would say from a do business standpoint and what that actually looks like. I won't go into, but it's, um, it's challenged me. So I'm like, I'm 30. I'm going to do things more than anyone else has done at my age in the industry, because I believe that I have the capability to do it. If I challenge myself, when I think about do life, What's interesting is we're obviously, you know, three years into the company. So we're a startup, like we're running and gunning and do life is simple for me. But I, I also believe that do business, do life. You don't earn the right to DL until you've unlocked it. And what I mean by that is you've got to go through a bit of drudgery in order to get to like the desire zone. And a lot of people will say, well, you don't want to burn yourself out. And I, I'm not burning myself out, but me and my wife, you know, back over the last couple of years have gone through I would say a couple of rough patches because like I've put my heart and soul into companies and places and chased the success line on my own. But me and my wife have gotten ourselves into a really good place where we're very proactive in our conversations. And we're in a spot right now where we know that the DL is going to be earned based on the efforts that I put into the business. And while we're not able to enjoy the most luxurious trips right now and vacations because we're investing into the business and trying to build do life to me right now is getting to finish at the gym and then get home and allow my wife to go to the gym and be able to be there right in the morning for my little kiddos and wake them up. Like it's like the funnest thing, like the little noisemaker is on and I'll wait and I'm like, oh, they're up and I'll walk in and get there. And they just so excited to see me. And then it's getting home at a good time in the, in the evenings to be able to spend another hour or so with them. And then um, doing life right now is our little tradition. We go to church on Sundays and then we go, uh, there's a little place in Lawrence that has donuts. So like I always pick them out their favorite donut and they bring it home. So we're celebrating life in the little things right now. doesn't have to be anything extravagant. So that's what um, extravagant, that's what new life is to me. And it's just enjoying the simple things while we have them. And uh, that's what DBDL means to me. Awesome, my man. Well, so glad you're here. You brought so much value, not only to Triad and the team here, but also just to all the advisors you've impacted all over the country. And I know that that's not going to stop anytime soon. So thanks for being here, my man. Love the conversation. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's show. On to this week's featured review. This one comes to us from iTunes user MJP093. They say, fantastic pod, five stars. I'm not even a financial advisor, and this podcast regularly feeds nuggets of wisdom every time I listen. I think all folks would benefit from the wise words shared, and especially financial advisors. Well, thank you, MJP093, whoever you are out there. If you happen to hear this, please tag us on social. Let us know that it was you. This review actually goes back to advice that was given to me that I think might be able to help you all out there. Uh, when I was first starting my original show, The Elite Advisor Blueprint. This was really back in 2015 or so. And it originated 
from trying to solve a problem, which was getting a bunch of really successful financial advisors together at the same place, same time. I was trying to do private coaching calls via Zoom, and I'd get 50 to 60% of my current clients there, but it was just an uphill battle because all of them were really busy, entrepreneurs running a lot of different directions, which was then when I was in a mastermind with Michael Hyde, he said, why don't you just make it a podcast? Well, long story short, I did. And there were a few entrepreneurs in that group that checked out the early episodes as a favor to me just to give me feedback. And one of them said, why are you going and doing a podcast just for financial advisors? The the guest you had on it, who might've been Michael Hyde or an early episode with Ron Carson, they said, this was great stuff. I think a lot of people can benefit from it. And that's where the advice was given to me from Michael Hyatt is start with your niche, start with the people you serve because they'll know it's for them. And by the way, a great podcast, others can listen to it too. It's free. It's on the internet. And so it won't keep others from listening to it. So that was great advice because as I grew that show over five years before I left that prior company, I asked a lot of advisors that found me through the show, how did they find the show? And they said, well, I found it through Michael Kitsis's show, and it was suggested your show to listen to as well, where I searched for financial advisor, and your show was one of the first ones that popped up. So I think it's a great lesson in just building a product that you hope serves your ideal marketplace. And if it's a good enough product, it can always help others as well. So wanted to share that quick story as it's great to hear that the show is serving non-financial advisors out there as well. But really, the show was designed to start with the marketplace that I served. And obviously, I'm glad it's out there serving many of you non-advisors as well. So thanks for listening in. And we will catch you on next week's show. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations.